Acts chapter 18 verse 1 says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. That's tight, they rhyme. Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, ch-ch-ch-ch-changes. <laughs> then you may be seated. Last week, if you were here, you know that the rhythm was going to get you, amen? Today, it's some ch-ch-ch-changes. You guys remember that song? All the young people are like, oh, I've never heard of that. I think it was, uh, who was it? Bowie, right? Was that Bowie? David Bowie did that song. Changes, 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 changes. Harold Winston said, he who rejects change is the architect of decay. The only human institution which rejects progress is the cemetery. My friend, I'm here to tell you that this morning we need to be agents of change. Now listen, I understand that change is not always fun. I get the mind-breaking that, that change brings within our lives. But if we do not change, then we will never see the growth that God had designed within our lives. There must be a change. I think it was Jim Rohn that said, you don't have to stay the same. You're not a tree. Change. You can move. You don't have to stay in one place. You can change. Here this morning, I want to challenge you with a mindset of a change that needs to, I believe, break within our lives, break within our hearts, and break within who we are. Now, how many Raider fans do we have here this morning? All right. I love it because the beginning of the season always brings new hope. Amen? It just does. How many Niner fans do we have here this morning? All right, you still ain't won nothing, so don't get all happy, all right? Now, I, I, I love football. I've, I've liked it for many, many years since I was able to hold one. I probably liked it. And so I know we're in this football season, so I, I really kind of, as I was studying last night, I go, oh, man, it's a perfect analogy for even me as I was thinking about the Raiders and the 49ers. Now, I need a football. You got a football? Let me have a football. There you go. Thank you very much. Awesome. Okay, great. Now. This is a football. That's Vince Lombardi for some of you guys, all right, just in case you did not know. He used to do that every season, at the beginning of every season. This guy won 10 uh, NFL, well, they weren't NFL at the time. I believe they were uh, AFL or something like that. Uh, they had championships. He won uh, nine out of 10 seasons he won. And this is the way he started every season with all of his players, even veteran players. He would say, this is a football. And basically, he would teach them how to use it. They would think, ah, these guys are veterans. No, you still got to always be in change. Now, I need a volunteer. John, you're my volunteer. All right, thank you very much. John, okay, you're going to be my volunteer. What I want you to do, go to the back. All right, go to the back. Here we go. Here we go. All right, John is deep. Here we go. Now. 
I'm a lefty, got a little Steve Young in me, amen. Just not as young as Steve used to be, amen. All right, so, John, I want you to catch this ball, okay? I want you to catch it. How many think John can catch this ball? He's got skills. Now, just in case you do not know, John played for Cash Valley High. He was really all-American, all amen. No, I don't know if he was all-American. Yeah, he was, he was all Castro Valley, amen. John, I want you to catch this ball, all right? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. All right, all right, okay, all right, go, go ahead, here we go. Okay, you ready? Here we go. I got a gun this time. Okay, you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Okay, here we go. All right. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Thank you. A lot of times within church, we don't catch things because we don't change. It happens a lot. It happens many times. We think, oh, no, they they don't want to throw me the ball. They don't want to give me an opportunity. Problem is God's always giving promises, always throwing them out there, always giving you the place, always giving you the process. The thing is we don't change. Now, if John had not changed and he would have stood there, he would have never been able to catch what I wanted to give him. The crazy thing is, is that many times even within us, within church, we do that to God. Oh, God's not giving me. God to, God's not throwing. He's not giving me the, oh, how come I'm not? How come I'm not? Probably because you're not changing. There has to be a change within who you are to receive what God wants to give you. There must be a change. You cannot stay the same. You cannot put new wine in old wineskins. It's not going to work. And it's crazy that we would call this pigskins. You have to change. Even the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 16, no one sews a patch of unstrung cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear even worse. Neither do we pour new wine in old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. In order for God to pour out this new uh, wine, this new promise, this new legacy within our church, then my friend, there must be a change. There has to be a change. I know that maybe we did it this way before. Well, that's the way it's always been done. That's the way I remember it. That's the way I saw it. That's the way I caught it. That's where I was. That's the way it was before. Well, listen, we appreciate that. I appreciate that. God appreciates that. But listen, God's kingdom is always about growth. Always about growth. One thing I've learned as I've been even studying church history, that there's been many denominations that they have fell off, not in numbers, in spirit, because they did not change at the proper time. 
They did not make the proper adjustments at the right time. And if you don't make the right adjustments, then, my friend, you will miss what God is trying to do within our lives. Robert Brault said, you never have a friend all figured out. Just when you think you know what makes them tick, they talk. The apostles knew this and understood what was happening within the times. Jesus had died. He had just died. He rose again, but then he ascended back and he said, I will come back. So all of a sudden they began to see, man, something needs to happen. There needs to be change. Matter of fact, even the apostle Paul, who had never really face-to-face seen Jesus, never really had that uh, flesh encounter. He did have the Damascus Road encounter, but he didn't have that opportunity like Peter had. He didn't have the opportunity like Andrew had to walk with him and talk with him every single step of the way for three and a half years he didn't have that one but he understood there needed to be a change within the church changes needed to take place they made the proper adjustments as needed when persecution even came paul himself made changes within the church due to undisciplined leadership and even false doctrine that was happening within the church they had to make changes here in the book of acts we're in a series in the church of acts and we're looking about the changes that the apostles made within the church they did not stay the same if they would have stood the same the gospel would have never spread all over the world it would have stayed right there wherever they were at. Maybe if it was in Asia Minor, they would have stood there. If it was in Corinth, they would have stood there. If it was in Rome, they would have stood there. If it was in Athens, they would have stood there. All because, no, this is the way it's always been done. This is the way it has to be. It can't go anywhere else. If we make changes, it's too crazy. We, we don't want to do that. We don't want to spread the gospel all over. We just want to know that we have the gospel. That's it. But they're needed to be changed. So what was the apostle's solution of carrying on the gospel of Jesus Christ? We read about it all through the book of Acts. One chapter in particular in Acts chapter 20 verse 20 says, And how I kept nothing back that was profitable unto you, but, ha- but have showed you and have taught you publicly and also from house to house. See, the changes of what they were trying to make and be very clear says, Look, we're going to go to the temple. We're going to gather together, but also don't neglect the house to house. It's very important. See, this was the early church way to spread the gospel. It was through their own personal life groups. The temple and the house came together in harmony. Somebody say harmony. Last week, if you were here, I talked about it. It was called a rhythm. And if you really understand what the church, what God wants to do with his church, then the rhythm is going to get you. If you fully understand what God wants to do, if you don't, then what happens is you get offbeat. And you think that coming to church on a Sunday morning is the only time that there should ever be the power of God noticeable within my life. And we think that's it. It's just here and no more. But when you understand the rhythm of what Peter, uh, Paul, the apostles were trying to get and trying to get across in the early church and should be even the now church is that the rhythm was the temple, the synagogue, but also house to house, home to home. Breaking of bread, breaking of chains, breaking of whatever it is, but within the house. The simple structure created a special rhythm in a first century church. Howard Snyder said, there was always this harmonious small group, large group rhythm. The small group providing the intense community life which gave depth to large group gatherings, whether the the latter were for worship or even for witness. Ray Stedman added, 
But in the early church, a kind of rhythm of life was evident in which the Christians would gather together in homes to instruct one another, study and pray together, and share the ministry of spiritual gifts. They would go out into all the world again to let the warmth and glow of their love-filled lives overflow into spontaneous Christian witness that drew love-starved pagans like a candy store draws little children. See, what they did in their house didn't just stay in their house. See, now, this has been a term, if you've been in Christianity for a little while, we say this a lot. I am the church. I am the church. Now, that has gotten distorted because a lot of people go, well, I am the church. I can have church at my house. Uh, yeah, that, that is true. That is, that is very true. You could have church in your, at your house. However, if you only have church at your house, you're missing the rhythm. You're missing the rhythm. You're off beat. It's not together. It doesn't, it, it doesn't come together at all. There's no harmony in that. And a lot of people think that, well, I could, just, I could just read the Bible at my house. You could read the Bible at your house, but that's not the whole gospel. That's why a lot of people go, oh, you know, the Old Testament, it's old. No, 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 no. It's together. It's still a testament. Don't ever forget that. The Old Testament is still a testament. It's together in harmony. We bring it together. We got the small groups and you got the large groups. Now, with that, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, Man, I need you. Now, so some of you looked at him like, Yeah, I don't really need you. No, 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 no. Come on. Look at him in the eyes and tell him, Man, I need you. Now, if you're taking notes, we started off here in the book of Acts, chapter 18, and here we see and we read about who's a couple who was at the heart of the first century church. In Acts chapter 18, we see Aquila and Priscilla. Whenever I say that, it just reminds me of like Muhammad Ali. Doesn't it do that? Right? The thriller in Manila. Jesus Christ versus every man's killer. I like that, right? But I'm not a rapper. I'm not a rapper. That's cross moving right there, just in case you don't know that. Aquila and Priscilla, they were at the heart of the very first century church of what God wanted to do. As he started to establish, now remember, his son had died and even ascended. He, was, he wasn't walking the earth anymore. So how was this gospel going to continue to spread? There was a couple that came, and this couple had been exiled out of Italy due to the deportation. Already Paul had a few things in common with this couple, with this particular couple, because he also knew what it was like to get kicked out of communities and get kicked out of countries. Also, the Bible states that they were tent makers, Aquila and Priscilla. Now, as I began to read this, and it says that Paul went from Athens to Corinth. Now, as I begin to study it there in Acts chapter 17 as well, the Bible says that Paul, now, without getting into a deep history lesson with Paul, Paul, um, in, in short, was a nutcase. Let's just put it like that. He was crazy. He was very crazy. He was crazy before he got saved, and he was just as crazy after he got saved. Now, just know this. I like crazy people. Amen? It's good to have some crazy people. Paul, all right, thank you, John. All right, that's my crazy guy right there. 
Just in case you're listening on the podcast, that's John Hurtado. <laughs> the all Castro Valley high school player. Paul was, he was crazy. He was, he was a nut. Now, the thing about crazy people, as I've studied, and even in the scripture, and even with Paul, that crazy people are real extremists. They're very extremists. They go out and they're, go, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing about extremist people is that when they don't see the results of their same passion, they get discouraged. They get very discouraged. Now, this is what happened with the Apostle Paul when you read in Acts chapter 17. He was telling it like it is, if you will. He was just giving it, he's giving it, giving it. And then the Bible says that they started laughing at him. And they started making fun of him. Now, the Bible does say also, it says, they were laughing and also others believed as well and came into the flock. But if you're an extremist, you don't want five people out of 500. You want all 500. And when you don't get 500, you get discouraged, right? That's just the way extremists are. That's the way Paul was. So the Bible says that in this time, he went from Athens to Corinth, and he was being laughed at. He was being mocked at. Basically, he left that city on his own. Yeah, there was, it was almost like he was thinking like this. Man, I preached the gospel, and only like 100 got saved. Man, there was like 10,000 people there, only 100? So the Bible says that he left, and when he left, he was discouraged. So when I studied from Athens to Corinth, that's a 50-mile walk. He walked 50 miles in discouragement. Oh, man, didn't go the way things were supposed to be planned. I wasn't the way. I was preaching my heart out, man. I was giving everything. What's going on? How come people don't listen to me? Yeah, a few did. But so what about the few? Gosh, man, what am I going to do now? 50 miles of this. 50 miles of just, oh, gosh, man. <sighs> then the Bible says that he came to Corinth. And he got in contact with some people. And the people, their name was Aquila and Priscilla. Now, the great thing about it is that they also understood what it was to be discouraged. They had just gotten kicked out of Italy. They said, and when you read the emperor there, he said, no, 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 no no more Jews. We want the Jews out of here. Get them out of here. As less of Jews as we can, kick them out. So that was Aquila and Priscilla. We don't want them here. So this couple also understood what it was like to be deported, be kicked out, be rejected. They understood that. Not only did they understand that, but they understood what it was to be connected within people, within their house. So as we look at this uh, the situation, the scenario of Paul connecting with this group, with this couple, all of a sudden there becomes a change even within Paul. He says, look, whatever happened over there happened over there. If I'm going to make a change over here, i got to get connected to somebody. How am I going to do that? I know these people, they're tent makers. I'm a tent maker. Let's make some tents. What a difference a house makes. Their house had become a warm place of training and worship. They themselves, understanding what it was like to be rejected, became, made their house a home to the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine the conversations that they had once they opened up their house to the Apostle Paul? I mean, remember, uh, the Apostle Paul was always going to the synagogue weekly and preaching. So can you imagine the Apostle Paul going and preaching and preaching and preaching, and then he goes home? And he talks with Aquila and Priscilla. I'm pretty sure 
he started rubbing off on them. I'm pretty sure that his house, their house started changing within the atmosphere. Why? Because they allowed the Spirit of God to dwell within them, not just at the synagogue, but at their house. There was a change that started to happen. I'm sure that there was plenty of talk around the dinner table after long days of work of talking with stubborn people that Paul was doing that they spoke about Jesus over and over. They had long nights on just worshiping Jesus in their house. See, Paul begins to create a picture of the intimate body life, the life groups. Here Paul starts the life group within this city. And he says, if I'm going to shake this city, I need a house that's going to be shaken first. And so what does he do? He gets Aquila and Priscilla. He says, man, everything that I've been taught, everything that I have, I know. We just don't have to do it uh, at the synagogue. Let's do it in your house. See, everything that takes place here, the worship, the, the, the communion, the, 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 the fellowship, the breaking bread, the songs, the, the events, everything that happens here in a corporate fashion can happen in an intimate fashion. Now, I don't know if you've ever been here to our services where the power of God has just taken over in an instant. But, man, I, we've seen altar calls over, over the past 30-plus years. I have seen some altar calls go from, like, here to, like, here. In like a second. Like, whoa, people just started getting healed. People started getting touched. I mean, just power of God. You've seen people coming up to the altar just kind of like with that, that stubborn, stagnant, uh, you know, uh, uh, countenance on them. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this. And then all of a sudden, boom, it just breaks. And they start breaking. And, and, and tears are coming down. And mocos is coming out. And it's just like, oh, my God, oh, my God. It's just, it's just craziness, and you're like, yes, it's the power of God, and you feel it, and you can sense it all in this whole place. The crazy thing is, this is also supposed to happen in your house. See, far too often we think, oh, I'm going to allow God to change me when I go to church. And Paul says, no, this is actually supposed to happen in your house. Everything that we experience here, you should be taking to your house. See, far too often we, we have this mi mindset and mentality uh, of having, we see someone in need, I know, they need the home. Let's take them to Greg. Let's let Greg pray for them. Oh, I know, I was never a drug addict, so you know what? Let me call somebody up who was in my church that they were a drug addict. I was never a gang member, so let me go call somebody up that was an ex-gang member. They'll understand. When Paul was trying to get across and he says, look, I need you to understand something. Even though you are not a Gentile, you can still preach to the Gentiles. Even though you are not a drug addict, you can still preach to the drug addict. Are you hearing me here? This is, this is the content of this message, right? It's very important. If we catch and grab a hold of this, then my friend, that we will be able to say, when we see our uh, Savior face to face, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision that you gave me. I was able to grab a hold of it and take it and run with it and not just take it to church, but I was able to take it to my house. People always say, well, I am the church. That's very true. Wherever you go, there could be miracles. I can't tell you how many times I've been in line at Burger King. I've been in line at In-N-Out. I've been in line at different places, and all of a sudden I just felt compelled. You know who does it? Like, I mean, she is just like awesome at it, my wife. 
I've been with my wife sometimes. We've been on a date before. I'm not lying. We've been on dates and like, oh, I love you. No, I love you more. Oh, I love you. Oh, you're so pretty. You're so handsome. I love you. We're holding hands. I don't know if that's exactly how it was, but it is in my mind how it was. Oh, my God. It's so great. And we're there and, you know, yay, we're on a date. And we're about to go sit down and my wife is like told me, hold on one second. And she, I'm not kidding. She walks over. She says, Excuse me, uh, you know this, and starts talking to her. Starts talking to the person. And can I pray for you? And sure, I, I guess so. And boom, right there, started praying for her. Started praying for him. I'll never forget one time I was with Dick Mills. Dick Mills still blows me away. I, I know he's on to be with the Lord, but Dick Mills. When we took him to a restaurant one time, I will never, ever, ever in my life forget this moment. We went to, it was like a Denny's or a Carol's or something like that. And we're over there and we're walking up to go sit down. And there's about, you know, 10 of us. And, you know, he's our guest of honor. You know, sit, sit down first, Dick Mills. I mean, go sit down. So we're all walking. And we go and we sit down at the chairs. And we look around like, where'd he go? I look to my left. He's sitting down. Now, mind you, Dick Mills at the time was around 80... 80-something years old, around there, maybe 83, 84 years old. Dick Mills just walks up to these college girls. They're about maybe 20, 21 years old. Sits down in their booth. Just sits down. Hey, how you doing? Because he would shake a little bit. He would say, hey, how you doing? And the girls are like, uh... Okay, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's my valley girl voice right there. And all of a sudden, he just starts prophesying to them in the middle of the restaurant. And I'm, I'm looking at like this like, okay, is there something I'm missing here? What's going on? Was like, so even I got up, I kind of walked over just to like, because I was thinking, like, man, do you need help? And, and little did I know. He didn't need my help. What the heck? I'm a little youngster. I don't know nothing. I, was, I think I was probably, like, 21 at the time. What do I know? This guy's over here prophesying to them, giving them words of discernment, words of encouragement. I mean, just, I mean and as he's talking, they start bawling, crying. Never met them ever before in his life. And he's talking to them, talking to them, talking to them, talking. And then he prays with them. He goes, give me your hand. He starts praying with them, praying with them. And he goes, amen. Then he gets up, walks over to our table, and goes, okay, what's for dinner? Like nothing ever happened. I'm like, are you kidding me? You just rocked these girls' world right now. Like you just changed their whole probably life pattern at this moment. See, those are the kind of men, this is the kind of woman that understands we just don't have church in this building. We take it wherever we have to go. See, some of you need to understand, well, I hate my job. I don't like this job. Well, maybe you're not there to like that job. Maybe that's not why you're there. Maybe you are there to bring God to that job. Maybe you're there to bring lightness wherever you go. 
See, far too often we look at the atmosphere around us and it changes us. No, my friend, we need to change the atmosphere. We've got to take this, whatever God has given us, and take it wherever we go. Paul the Apostle in Colossians chapter 3 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Then in verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, somebody say one body. Say one body. It says you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, my friend, as we read these portions of scriptures, we begin to understand that these were small group actions, singing, forgiving, bearing each other's burdens. Even Jesus wanted to make it clear how to go about it within a small group life group. In Matthew chapter 18, even Jesus kind of gives that scenario because we always talk. These are kind of scriptures that we always use, but I want you to see that these are actually small group type of happenings. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, he says, if your brother or sister sins, go out and point their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they do not listen to you, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Already right here, look, Jesus is saying, look, you got a small group. Bring them together. Deal with it in the small group. Can you imagine if we were to deal with everybody's sins in this large group? You would never want to come back. Right? I ain't going back to that church. They exposed me. That's horrible. Now, one thing you need to learn about uh, that everybody in this church, everybody that is sitting here, the person you're sitting next to, the person behind you, the person in front of you, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every single person, and I want you to know this, no sin is more justly wrong than another. Now, I don't have time to go into it, but the murderer will also be in hell with the liar. So I don't have time to really get into that, but I just want to make that very clear. And Jesus understood this, so he said, look... Rather than going into the temple and the synagogue and making and showing how right you are and prideful you are, let's just, just go to them personally. Get it within your life group. Deal with it within your life group. Take it like that. Then after the life group, if it doesn't happen, then okay, then we got to do something about it. Let's take it to the larger group. It says there in verse 17. Even in verse 19, he says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, they ask for it, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three or more gathered in my name, there I am with them. Even Jesus established life groups. He says, look, if you want to deal with sin, sure, do it in a life group. Hey, if you want to gather together and praise the name of Jesus, sure, do it in a life group. Because wherever two or three are, there I am in the midst. 
See, that, see, that's how people always use the scripture when it goes to, I don't go to large church gatherings. I just need two or three. No, no, no. You need the two or three. You need the small gatherings, but you also need the larger gatherings. You need that as well. It's very important. It's very important to stay in harmony. Somebody say harmony. And this is what the Apostle Paul understood. See, by ignoring the small group, we miss the opportunity to apply many New Testament teachings to life in a natural way and can make our spiritual application seem artificial. My friend, what I'm saying, what am I saying here? I'm trying to communicate that we need to stop telling ourselves that we went to church unless we are taking church home. See, church is not just a building structure, it is a body life. It is a movement of the Holy Spirit throughout the week within our daily conversation, morning devotions, nightly witnesses, and even everything in between. My friend, just because you came here this morning does not mean that you went to church. My friend, you are the church. Wherever you go, you take the church. You carry the Holy Spirit. You carry the light of Christ. That's where the church is. If you leave here and you decide to go to La Piñata, there's church. If you leave here and you go across the bay and you want to walk the beach there's church if you leave here and you go to your family's house that you have not seen in 10 years there's church if you go home and you sit down and you put on your pajamas because you just want to chill the rest of the day and like i'm just gonna watch football then my friend there's church there too wherever you want to go there's church far too often we think church is here see i'm trying to change our mindset of thinking, this is only church. No. Church is where you take it. Church is where you carry it. And you can take church even right there in the middle of your family. And say, mom, come here. Dad, come here. Aunt, uncle, come here. We're going to reconcile right now. You can do that. You have the power to do that. All authority in heaven and on earth that has been given to me, I give it to you. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, that's what he said. Everything. You can take it. You don't, I'm saying this because it's very important. Listen, I love being the pastor of this church. I, I love it. I, 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 for some reason, I've been, you know, just bred for it, I guess you can say. And I had to embrace this years ago. It was not easy, but I, I have embraced it, I think, when I was about 22 years old, right around there. I embraced it. Okay, God, you got me. You broke both my ankles. You broke my heart. You broke my body. Okay. So I can honestly say, without a shadow of a doubt, I love pastoring this church. I love it. I love every single one of you, even if I don't know you. However, what's very important that you have to understand is that in this large church gathering, I do want to help you. If I have the ability to help you, I will. However, I cannot help every single one of you at every single moment of distress. It's impossible. It's physically impossible, for one, but also spiritually impossible. Like, oh my, like, if you've ever been to my house, I got four kids. <laughs> Hallelujah. If it's not one kid, it's another. If it's not that one, it's the other. I mean, the other day, my daughter's just sitting, she's just chilling on the couch. My daughter's just chilling. And I walk in, I go, hey, all right. We got a calm house. And next thing I know, here they come. Dad, do, 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 do. Oh, my gosh, he's got Thor, and he's throwing it across the room. Ah! And Lulu's like, oh, my God, Dad, he took my thing. And the crayons, and here comes Mariah. She's got all her stuff. I'm like, hey, Dad. And she's markered up all over the place. She looks like the Joker. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. 
They say, well, pastor, what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is that, believe me, even as a pastor, I'm still a human being. I'm a father. I'm a husband. So I believe, as a pastor, God has given me a greater capacity within a heart, also within a mind, and even within a body to be able to expand beyond my natural means. Yes, I do. However, I cannot do it to every single one of you. Now, you need to know that I love you without a shadow of a doubt, but I can't do that. I would be foolish to say that I can. So what did God design? He designed Aquilas and Priscilla's. He said, you may not be able to go to the pastor's house, but you can go to Elias' house. You can go to Ismo's house. You can go to Eric's house. You can go to Arturo's house. You can go to Matt's house. Go to Juan's house. Wait, what? But it's, see, we have this mindset. No, 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 the pastor has to do it. Well, if you want me and only me to do it, you're going to kill me. You will. Because if you don't, what am I for, Will? <laughs> now, in no, nor no notion am I saying I don't ever want to help. Because if you know me, that's kind of contradictory to my character. Uh, believe me, I've helped many of you at midnight, one in the morning, two in the morning. I'll do exactly what I can do if I can. That's not a problem. If I have money, I'll give it. If I have food, I'll give it. I have no problem with that. I have my jacket. I've given my suits to people. They don't even fit, but I go, here, brother, take it. And they're like, yay, thanks, my first suit. I don't, I don't care. I'll, I'll give it if I have the ability. If this church is going to grow, it has to grow beyond the pastor's ability. And I'm not afraid to say that. Are we under, do we understand where I'm going with this? It's very important. Because what you do when you say only the pastor can do it, you're cutting off your spiritual legs as a leader, as a minister. Only the pastor can. Paul knew this. Actually, when you read the scriptures and you continue on there in the book of Acts chapter 18, Paul, like I said, he was a nutcase. He was saying things, saying things, saying things, saying things. And the Bible says that he, he was at the synagogue and they kind of rallied together and they wanted to beat him. So they beat him with stones. That's what the Bible says. They just beat him and they beat him. They almost beat him to death. So you would think, oh, man, this city don't want me. Actually, the Bible says he stood there another year and a half. And guess whose house he stayed at? Aquila and Priscilla. He stood with them. He said, no, we need to do this together. If we're going to build something, we're going to build this together. Later on, you'll read in Romans chapter 8 that the apostle Paul took them and said, hey, I need these kind of people. These are the kind of people that I need. These are the kind of men and women that I need because they hold the power of God wherever they go. And it's very important. Listen to me. I know I do not deny coming to church on a Sunday at 1 o'clock. Don't do that. Don't do this. This is very important. You need it. I need it. This is very important. However, don't think that church is over when we say amen. Church is not over. Church is still going on. It's wherever you take it. It's up to you. Paul knew this. The apostles knew this. And one of the last things that they did is actually they took communion. They would take communion. I don't want to say lastly, let me rephrase that. One of the things that they did was they took communion. And even at this time, I, I shared it last week. I said, you know what, this week we're going to do it. We're going to take communion. And today, we're going to take communion. This is what they would do, and they would break bread weekly, and even sometimes daily they would do this. Now, I want to challenge some of you life group leaders, or not even life group leaders, life group ministers, but just saints in general, that you yourself, 
would be able to break bread and have the Lord's Supper in your house. Like, let me ask you this. When's the last time you had the Lord's Supper in your house? See, see what I'm saying? A lot of times we think, oh, the church needs to have communion. I, I remember even somebody one time was like, you guys haven't had communion. You're not of God. And I went, oh, okay, that's a weird way to, you know, put it. But, I mean, in my mind, because I've learned there's always a thread of truth to everything, and I, we hadn't had communion in about five or six months. I was like, man. But, I mean, I know that's unbiblical for, for them to say. So I know that. However, one of the things that Paul understood, the apostles understood, the disciples understood, is that sometimes they can't do it always in the synagogue. Let's do it in our house. And so the Bible says that when they would break bread, they did it with gladness in their heart. They did it with sincerity of who they are. It wasn't just a ritual because rituals started happening within the church. That was one of the reasons why they had to break some things. There was rituals already happening. And the church was barely getting going as a, as a gathering. There was multitudes gathering with Jesus. But where do the multitudes go? Okay, well, now let's go to church. So already within the multitudes, there was rituals already happening. And so, wait, 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 hold, hold on. To break this up, just don't do it when you gather together. Do it when you come together in your home. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. I want the worship team to come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about what we are to do when it comes to communion and what it means to come together. It's very important because what I want to do right now, I want us to be able to do our best to look at it this way. Act, oh, excuse me, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 28 says, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Now what I want to do right now, I'm going to give us an opportunity right here, right now, to really examine ourselves. Look at who we are or who we're not. Kind of look at that. And then I'm going to make an altar call. And then after the altar call, we're going to partake of communion. We're going to do it holistically, together. But I also want to challenge you in this gathering of what we're doing right here, right now. If you have the opportunity to, go ahead and do this at your house. Do it at your home. Just don't partake of it only ceremonially when they come together in a large gathering. No, you can do this same thing at your house. But first, you examine yourself. So I want to give you the opportunity to examine yourself. I want to ask you a few questions. Have you been able as a man of God, as a woman of God, to carry the spirit of God to wherever you go? Or do you leave it solely up to the church and church alone and the large gathering? Do you say, man, the church should be witnessing? Do you say, man, the church should have this ministry? Man, the church should do this. The church should do that. If you have been doing that, I want to challenge you to change your position from the back to the front. Catch what God has been throwing your way the whole time. And everything he's been telling you has not been for the church as a whole, but has been for a church as an individual. Maybe some of you, and I believe this wholeheartedly, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. 
We talk about many times, all oh, the church, they're going to get their own building and, you know, a millionaire is going to come in and they're just going to slap a million dollars on the table and, uh, oh, it's going to be great and the victory is going to have their own building. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Now, if it happens, praise the Lord, but I've been here for 30, 40 years now. It hasn't happened once. I believe, and I've said this even really since I've been a youth pastor, I really believe that God is going to raise up millionaires from the church, inside the church, within the church. And there's going to be, now, that's a whole other message, but that actually happened within the church, the book of Acts itself. They were coming together, and there were actually groups of men and women that came together, and that's all they did is they just brought, they brought resources to the church, and they dispersed as needed. So I believe within my heart, I truly believe that God is going to raise up millionaires within the church. First, though, there's going to be thousandaires that you're going to learn how to deal with $1,000. Because if you cannot deal with $1,000, I can almost guarantee you can't deal with a million dollars. If you're not a giver now, if you don't know how to be able to, when the bucket goes by or when the opportunity comes to be a giver now, you're going to have a very difficult time thinking of accepting the blessing of being a millionaire. It's going to be very difficult. Very difficult. I'm not saying you can't, but it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's very difficult. So I'm saying that here, within the church, I want us to change the mindset of thinking, I went to church at 1 o'clock, and now I'm done. Actually, you're not done. As long as you're breathing, you're giving hope. You are the church. Now, for those of you here this morning, as you've been examining yourself, as I've been sharing these past few moments, you said, man, I, I, I want God to allow that spirit to live within me, that wherever I go, Whatever I do, I want to take the church of God with me. Victory Outreach is a great ministry, but I want to grab a hold of the Spirit of God that wherever I go, God, I, I want to sit in a restaurant and I want you to speak to me so that I can speak to others. Some of you have always wanted to do that, but you just haven't had the boldness to do that. See, if we were to give you the mic up here, some of you might be able to do it, like, okay, you know, you might get a little nervous, and well, praise the Lord, I'm saved, and hallelujah, and thank you, Jesus, for the church, and amen. And so you did it, yes, and so you think you overcame maybe that, that small fear of whatever it might be. I want to challenge you. It's not just here on this stage. That's a part of it, but that you would carry the light of Christ in the midst of the darkness. Take this. Take this. Grab a hold of it. Enable yourself. Say, God, put me in the right position at the right place at the right time. That you know when that time comes, you're going to walk away from that time and go, man, I just had church. I just had church in the grocery store. How did that happen? I just had church at my dad's house, and I haven't gotten along with him in months. I just had church at my sister's house, and she didn't even believe in Jesus. How did that happen? Then you're going to know that you're taking this spirit that is, you've been experiencing when you come together for years and decades here in the church. You've been taking it and you've been walking with it there in the house. Harmony together, small group, 
large group. Large group, small group, small group, large group, large group, small group. Boom, coming together, coming together, coming together in harmony and one another. Bow your heads with me. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would touch the hearts, minds, bodies, and souls, Lord God, of the men and women that are here. Let your spirit be the dominant like never before, oh God. Father, we give you the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name.